More Texas clubs are headed back to the pool. Results are piling in on which are the best programs in the state's history and a conversation with Chris Hilvera and Jim Linehan on today's TX Water Polo Show. Here we go. It's the TX Water Polo Podcast. I'm James Smith in Austin and Joe Linehan is in North Texas. Uh, as usual, how are you, Joe? I'm good, James. How are you doing? Are, like, are, like, are you getting worn out from all the practices you're doing? I have, I'm just finished a practice plan again. I know that people are jealous about that. I, I think, I think people are almost angry, jealous. I have to say I've been on a bunch of these zoom calls and they're like, yep, we're practicing tonight. And that it, they're like, Oh, I'm jealous. And it doesn't sound like, Oh, I'm really happy for you. It's no, they're, like, they're not happy for me. But anyway, I, that could be just complete projection, but yeah, we've had some really good practices. Let's, let's back off for just a moment because I, I think we probably need to cover something. Um, we need to start with a bit of the obvious, which is what everybody knows what's going on in the news. And uh, it's a pretty wrenching time all over the country, including Texas. So we're not blind. We know what's going on, and it's pretty awful to see. But I'll just tell you that a long time ago when I started Total Water Polo, I decided to be really strict editorially about not entering the fray with any issues that didn't have to do with water polo and you can take it or leave it. I, I obviously I have opinions. Joe has opinions, by the way, they don't necessarily match. We have some super interesting conversations <laughs> offline about all this stuff, but we just want to make mention that things are pretty rough right now, but we're going to maintain the focus on water polo. Um, we'll give you something else to, to think about and talk about aside from all of these other things. Uh, and just wanted to let everybody know that we're not, uh, we're not oblivious to what's going on around us, right? Yeah, just everybody just be safe out there. It's not just the COVID now. It's just in general, just everybody be safe and love one another. And, you know, and uh, just, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just make it through the next day, right? Yeah, one day at a time. All right. Um, so given that, we'll move on to some of the really light stuff, which includes COVID-19 training. So we move on from just one disaster to another um, we can sort of make light about it because, um, obviously Texas is ahead in a lot of ways in opening things up. My club in particular, I'm super pleased about that. I'll never stop being grateful for that, but that's not really the only thing going on. It sounds like there's a lot of new teams that are at least considering hopping back in the pool. Yeah, I think Triumph, uh, Triumph Aquatics, Jeff Otten's team is, I think, starting on Tuesday of this week, I guess, June Great. 2nd. So um, for those that are listening after that, so they, yeah, they started, um, uh, there is uh, Pegasus up in North Texas, um, I believe starting next week on June 8th. I think Southside or kind of down in Houston is also starting next week as well. Um, of course, all this is on a very limited basis. Yeah. Uh, do, do you know anything about uh, that? I mean, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but what kind of limited basis as far as you know? Everybody's a little different, you know. Okay. So I mean, it's is, is it is it one person per lane? Is it two people okay. per lane? Got it. Um, is I mean, is it six feet apart? Is it ten feet apart? Can they use balls? Can they not use balls? I mean, it's all based off of what their facility is allowing them to do. Right, right. So, I'll be super interested in that. I have to say, yeah, we didn't talk about that before, so I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I was curious. No, no, no. I mean, and then the last group that's also starting uh, uh, this week on Wednesday, June third is Sigma Water Polo in, yeah, in Fort Worth. This, um, I bumped into that site and saw that they were starting something. And um, so what's interesting for me is that I am not hugely familiar with w if there's any tradition of water polo in Fort Worth in that area. Obviously, 
the sport has grown like crazy in North Texas, but I don't recall. I know that um, on the Tisca list, there's one high school that has fielded a team in the past from Fort Worth, but I didn't know whether there was really any other presence there. So what's going on? That sounds like it's fairly big news. Yeah, water polo is still fairly new to Fort Worth in general. I think there was a master's team that played for a couple of years, like 10 years ago. Um, that was just mainly swimmers that, yeah, that, yeah, that wanted to throw the ball around. Um, then there's been some high schools that have played here and play there. The Fort Worth Paschal High School right. from, from Fort Worth ISD has played the last few years. And Jason Lovell's been doing a great job with that program. Um, but but Sigma Waterpo and the, the club director is Andrew Hahn and, and kind of, and that's the larger club is Sigma Swimming. And right. Andrew started a swim lesson program and a year on swim team back in the late 2000s. And it, grew and grew and grew. I think now he has about 12 to 15 different pools that he uses for, for yeah, for lessons. Um, his year on swim team grew. They merged this like earlier in, in 2020 with, uh, with the Fort Worth swim team, which was the major USA swim team down at the Fort Worth uh, natatorium. Um, they merged. So it's all under Sigma swimming. And they also decided to start age group water polo. Um, and that was back in February. And they had a coach, his name was Joshua Fritz, who played up in Ohio, was going to school down there and was kind of like kind of coaching lessons and coaching swimming with, uh, yeah, yeah, with Andrew. They were going to have him kind of lead it. We were getting him all like, you know, kind of up to speed. Um, I even helped coach the first week of practice. Oh, cool. Um, and they had one week of practice. And then spring break happened, and then <laughs> yeah. everything else happened. And then everything just blew up. So, yeah. but uh, I mean, I I remember going out. Uh, I believe that they had almost 50 kids uh, signed up that the uh, that first month. What ages? Um, that was from young kids all the way up through high school. Okay, so all of them. Wow. So I think they might have had a couple uh, masters guys as well that they were to play with the high school kids, but um, but like you know, they had a first day. Yeah, they had kind of one week of practice. Um, I remember going out there. There were 12 uh, boys and girls out there. The first practice yeah, yeah, that I went, all of them came back for the second one. That's great. Yeah, by the way. And I think there were like almost about, about 15. And this was just the 12s and 14s. Okay. They also had a splash ball program going on. Then they had separate practices for the older kids. Wow, they're jumping in whole hog on that. That's they really were cool. They were going in. And I had some discussions with, uh, we, uh, with Andrew Hahn. He basically goes, I mean, he goes, this is a UIL sport. This is going to grow. Yeah. And the, and the big thing is he has a large group of swim lessons. Yeah. And if anybody's ever run an aquatic club, swim lessons are the part that makes a lot of money. Swim lessons so, make a um, boatload of money. Yep. And, uh, but, you know, but of those kids that do swim lessons and they go through your swim lesson program, how many of them transfer over to the year-round swim team? Right. And I remember having a conversation with, uh, yeah, with Andrew. He he was saying probably about about 30, 40 percent transfer over to the year-round swim team. He goes, there's another 60, 70 percent that we want to keep at the pool. Right. And that's what water polo is going to do is keep those kids at the pool because a lot of those kids that were out there in March were kids that had done swimming and or done or done year-round swimming maybe for a year and decided it wasn't for them or they did swim lessons and they never came over and they never came back to the pool. These are kids that have done basketball and done soccer. They wanted right. to come back to the pool and do water polo. And it's a tremendous growth opportunity. And to be honest with you, they have Fort Worth all of themselves. It is, they, I mean, and they're actually practicing. They yeah. have, they, I mean, they, like, they're not just, they're, like, they're not just using the, um, like, the school district pools. They use city pools. They use neighborhood pools. So they have access to a large variety of different pools. 
and they're and they're practicing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's like 15 pools or something like that. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is a business. It is a nonprofit, but yeah, yeah, kind of, but as a business. Unfortunately, yeah, just their original coach, uh, Josh, um, he had to go back to Kentucky with his wife during all the upheaval that's been mm. going on the last yep. 10 weeks. And um, and I believe that they hired an even better coach. It's listed right on the site. It's uh, Trevor Doyle, who we're it's both familiar with, Trevor right? Doyle. And yep. Trevor Doyle played at, played at Flower Mound High School, helped coach at Flower Mound High School. He referees high school water polo. He's also been a Thunder water polo coach for the last three or four years. Yeah, that's a good so, gig. So, I mean, he's a young guy that has lots of enthusiasm. He has lots of experience, and it's a great job for them to go. And and Trevor's also is kind of looking to, to, to become a teacher. So I think this is going to be a great opportunity. And like It's like a blank campus, and the growth potential over there is, is almost limitless. Wow. So. Do you have any sense for, you know, given that they have so many different facilities, whether they would have, let's say, different practices at different facilities, sort of like Thunder, really, right? Because it's a – you know, it, it, there's several locations around the Dallas area. Is that the model that you think they're going to follow or do you not know? Um, I think it really depends on how it grows. Yeah. I mean, I think what we had talked about was creating a lot of splash ball. So you yeah. really get that base of the pyramid yeah, huge, right? For sure. So creating a, creating a lot of splash ball kind of events and at all these different, like instead of splash ball being at the beginning of the water polo club, it's at the end of the swim lesson program. Oh, listen, that that setup is as good as it gets because um, a lot of people think that what you should do is sort of piggyback on a swim team and then take, I don't know, the word's not the right thing, not to take kids, but to try to move some of those kids onto the water polo team. That's not really the way. It's swim school, like you were just talking about. It's just, it's that is the that is the best feeder. And well, so I swim school a, combined with splash ball is just a killer combination. That's going to yeah. be big for yeah, growth. It's going to be huge. And and there's a lot of different ways to grow the water polo program, right? So and there's a lot of different avenues in different ways. This is just a swim club that is starting a water polo team. And the biggest thing is they're not going to they're they're not going to limit it. It's not going to be like okay water polo like you know the place. No, if you're if you want to get 500 kids, get 500 kids. Yeah, let's great. go. Let's let's grow aquatics. That's great. Let's grow aquatics. And that is a huge, huge step in the right direction. And um, and I'm and I'm very excited about that. It's going to be fun. Big news. Big news. Um, I can't remember if we mentioned Fort Bend, too, might be uh, starting up next week. Yeah, maybe, I think maybe I think they might be starting a little bit later this month. I'm not quite sure. Though. OK, yeah, yeah. We don't know exactly when, but it's just good news to hear people that are uh, thinking about getting back in the pool. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, school districts as well. What's going on with them? Like they're the <laughs> these private organizations or clubs or whatever are sort of are taking the lead on this, but are school districts following? I mean, the school districts are following the UAL guidelines. There's also the TEA guidelines that have been out, um, and they're fairly restrictive. And everybody is being uh, cautious, you know. So. Um, you know, there are a lot of school districts are allowing some high school sport coaches to do some camps with some restrictions, obviously, for, for social distancing. Um, there are other school districts that aren't going to open up at all until, you know, this upcoming um, uh, kind of August. There are other school districts that are, are only allowing their coaches from the fall sports to do some camps this summer. Mm, okay. So they're all over the place. So after the UIL and TA uh, guidelines came in uh, at the end of May, now each school district now can make up their minds 
about right. okay. what direction they want to go. And then what I'm interested in is like, is all school districts are going to be a little bit different, right? But they're all going to be fairly uh, cautious at the beginning. But then it's going to be how quickly are they going to ramp up to yeah. quote unquote the normal? Is it going to be two weeks? Is it going to be two months? Is it going to be until 2021? Right, and and then what does that mean? If you're if you're a football team, are you doing full contact? Are you even allowed to? Can you I touch mean, each other? You know, I mean, there's it's it's all place. Uh, I I'm not gonna mention the school district, but there is a school district out there that is allowing their allowing their coaches to do camps, but they can't use a ball. Okay, See, so there is no stuff. soccer ball, there's no football, there's no tennis ball, but right. it's just it's just conditioning, and then they're going to reevaluate after a couple of weeks. So. It's, I mean, you know, it's better than nothing, obviously. We oh, yeah, want these yeah, teams to start, but man, the questions that remain open are just uh, almost unfathomable. I just think it's, everybody sees like, you know, we are going back to quote unquote normal out there. Um, but it is, I mean, you, you have to understand these are large entities that have lots of variables. Yeah. So they're going to move cautiously. And I understand that. Yep. And, and I've been just, I've, I've been trying to tell uh, like coaches out there that are a little frustrated to go, it's going to get back there. It just may take a little bit more time than what we had anticipated. So, you know, what's interesting is that you and I have both been a part of conversations with Californians as well. And uh, it's always super easy to try to compare ourselves to them. But one thing that I get the impression of, I'm not certain this is actually true, but this is the impression I get is that it's basically uniformly decided across the entire state of California, whether they will or will not, you know, have fall sports. And, and we both know there are some coaches out there who have been very pessimistic about that. But here, what's interesting is that, is that there is variety. There's so much variety between these districts who have to make all these decisions themselves well i think it i think it's going to be uniform about sports or no sports for this upcoming fall but it's like each school district can kind of kind of pick and choose what they want to do this summer or training wise right Is yeah or suggesting? i mean yeah. And, and, and and it's not necessarily pools either it's just are they going to open up their facilities to outside renters and that's and that's and that's just not the uh, like the pool but it's also the football field yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Like, like like the indoor basketball arena you know for volleyball practice it's so it's not restrictive just to swim teams and uh, water polo clubs so. okay yeah time for a break and we'll come back with more on our best of texas tournament part two right about now you might be expecting some song and dance about a product you don't need well shush we don't advertise here and we want to keep it that way so we sure would appreciate your help Show your support by going to TXWaterPolo.com forward slash donate so we can keep covering the sport we love in the great state of Texas. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. James and Joe back with you with, uh, and we're going to talk about our newest uh, stunt, our Best of Texas Tournament Part Two, which is uh, the program uh, version where we we matched up the best programs, high school programs in the state of Texas over the last 40 years, uh, up against one another, and it's created some really cool matchups. So I wanted to go over them because. 
what we're going to do is we'll leave the polling open for another week. So we'll talk about this again next week and we'll close things up, but we're still getting votes and there's a lot of interest in this, but um, give you a little bit of an update where things stand with, uh, with these, with these matchups. Um, so let's, let me go through them one by one. We, we did the girls first. Um, and Joe, you tell me if there's any of these are a surprise or, even better yet, you can sort of stir it up and make people uh, want to vote even more. So um, first is uh, Baytown Sterling and Clear Creek Girls, and the Baytown Sterling team is leading by 65 percent to 34, 35. Um, the next after, is yeah, yeah, just after. Oh, here, just go all yeah, just go through all the Houston ones. Okay, and then uh, so Cy Creek um, girls are behind Clear Lake girls, 59% to 41. That's basically the surrounding error. And then what's cool, we'll get to this in a bit, but I find this is very cool. Marshall over South Lake Carroll by 66% to 34%. And again, girls. And then finally, Clark over Alamo Heights, 72, 73% to 27%. So, um, this, what was cool to me is the San Antonio uh, outcomes, but anyway, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. So, no, I um, mean, uh, just everybody out there, you can still go out and vote. So this is not the end all be all. This is not the, the, the uh, these are not the final results. Yep. So if you are down by 10, 15 percent or whatever, go go out there and vote, and there's plenty of time to change that. Um, I was uh, I thought the Clear Lake and Side Creek matchup would be a little bit closer for the girls just because yeah. because that's because uh, clear lake was in more state state championship games but side creek won more state championships right yeah so yeah. um that's yeah that's that's very kind of kind of interesting to me um uh, was it uh i'm not surprised about marshall and clark um i am surprised that the carol who are a little bit or should be probably a little bit more um tech savvy i guess to be able to vote um <laughs> no, maybe they just don't know about it yet but yeah, uh no, you brought it um, so but um because like if you if you go back the first round of the best of texas part one was yeah was very recency bias so that was an interesting matchup there in the first round of like a very recent team versus a team from the early 80s that's so. true but again san antonio is in the house they uh yeah, good super hip about that statement but the um i know for a fact there's a huge effort among some people who are part of the scene for some time to get people to go vote for those teams so yeah well done to san antonio too and how are the boys yeah just how are the boys doing all right so clear lake um over clear creek by 61 percent to 39 percent um, Ooh, that's like an inner that's an inner district one so get people out there Come on, that's Keep a going. rival. Yeah, you got to take care of that. Um, here's one that's, I don't know, I don't think it's a surprise, but you tell me. So uh, Baytown Sterling over Side Creek by 78% to 22. It was, yeah, pretty overwhelming. I don't know. So I mean, that's, I mean yeah. they're, both, they're both strong programs. So. Yeah. Uh, St. Mark's over Alamo Heights, 70% to 30 <clears throat> And the last one is, oh, this is the, this is the matchup. This is the... Clark versus Marshall. It's the battle of the 1980s San Antonio boys teams about which we're going to talk a lot coming up in the next segment. But uh, uh, what do you think the outcome of that is so far? What would you guess? I would say that it's Clark is probably ahead by about 10 percentage points. 10 percent. It is 54 to 46 percent. So you are completely incorrect. Just completely wrong. Nice. So. 
close. So, and, yeah. uh, and just, I did go to Clark high school, but, uh, but I was not <laughs> part of any of those teams. Yeah. But, yeah. That's a great matchup. I'm you know super excited about that. You came up with some good teams there, Joe, good programs. No, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I'm excited to give everyone an, an extra week to kind of just vote for the first round. Um, as opposed to, uh, like just a half a week, we, we want to give everyone a week and a half to vote. And then I'm I'm kind of looking forward to, to the next round of matchups. Those, those are going to be a lot I of fun, know. too. I know. And uh, for those of you who are still voting, remember, these are programs, not teams. Obviously, the programs are comprised of teams over time. But it's really about the excellence, the consistency, the number of championships, all of those variables associated with the program. So, yeah, you got another week to vote. So get on out there and tell everybody else to do it, too. And on the ballot, uh, per se, is... Um, it lists all the all the championships, kind of when they first played, mm-hmm. kind of when they uh, last played in a state championship. So there are some stats on there too. So. Yep, go read them up. All right. So speaking of which, um, I had a chance to have a conversation with Chris Olvera and then some guy named Jim Linehan. I don't know, some just random feller. Um, I had a chance to talk with them yesterday and really more about their experiences. One went to Clark, one went to Marshall in that, midi, in that mid-80s time. And we're sort of diving into what San Antonio water polo history is like, and they were excellent at sharing what's going on uh, with that. Um, so um, we're going to do that, but two names that came up in that conversation, one was Mark Ellie, who was apparently like a very good, talented coach and who um, and it really had a lot of influence on the, the talent and, in that area at the time. And the other is George Block. And I think George Block even might be sort of a statewide figure everybody has heard of. But you were there. You were there in the 80s and, and later. What is it about those two guys that you might want to share with us? Yeah, so I graduated from Clark High School in 1992. So I started – so I was a little younger whenever those teams were dominant – um, but, uh, yeah, Mark Kelly was my first water polo coach. Um, I begged my way on a 10 and over team because my brother was playing, um, who's, he's what, five years older than me. And I was nine and I bet, and I begged my way on and he let me play. And then I go, Hey, I, um, then he told me to get better at a uh, water polo, you need to swim. So that's why I started doing year round swimming. And my brother had to teach me how to do a flip turn and dive off a block for my first year on swim. Club uh, what a brother. What a good yeah, brother. And uh, was it, um, but no, but Mark Ellie came down. He, yeah, he came down from Canada and uh, was the junior national team coach up there. He came down here and he just brought a whole new way of playing water polo. And, and he was a great coach, both the boys and the girls. Um, uh, I think that he was very uh, strong willed. Um, and there were some differences there. Um, and he decided to move on a little bit and, uh, he ended up uh, ended up teaching Texas kind of history at in middle school, which is kind of interesting for a Canada guy to do that. <laughs> but yeah. um, and then he started um, the Wave swim team, and he kind of focused on coaching swimming after he left Northside and Clark. So, um, but uh, George Block, um, uh, George Block. I mean, a so legend. Mark. Yeah, so Mark had a lot of influence on me as far as my love of water polo. Um, he brought me to St. Louis. I think we've talked about that before, James, yep. um, for, for the AAU Junior Olympics back in yep. the uh, in the early uh, kind of or the mid '80s. Um, he brought teams all around, so he had a huge influence on me as far as being a water polo coach. And I probably probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for Mark Kelly. Interesting. Okay. Um, but then George Block, on the other hand, 
George Block and Mark probably didn't see eye to eye on some things as far as the water polo placed in the aquatics world. Um, and that was part of the reason why everybody decided to kind of just kind of go their separate ways. But George Block, um, he was, he's a legendary figure down in San Antonio. There would have been no Mark Kelly without George Block, right? So um, George Block started, you know, water polo at Alma Heights. Um, and then he moved over to Northside ISD, you know, whenever they built their brand new 50 meter pool and he started swimming in water polo there. He established water polo as a varsity sport in the, in San Antonio. Um, he's been on committees. He's been on ASCA committees, uh, USA water polo committees, um, USA swimming committees. Um, there's he's his name's on the side of buildings down there. And he really built up a powerhouse, not just in water polo down in the eighties, but also swimming. He had some of the best swim best swimmers up until the early to mid nineties. And uh, I mean, it was just a program and he was my swim coach as well. And I would not have become the level of swimmer if it wasn't for George block. Right. So I kind of have a foot in both sides there. Right. So, yeah. Um, and um, it, so I'm torn back and forth. Yeah. At, at times, as far as, you know, from basically the early nineties on water polo and to a lesser extent swimming kind of started going downhill a little bit um and i mean it's 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 gone back up a little bit recently down in san antonio but um it's it's an interesting topic and i'm looking forward to hearing your discussion so yeah that's we we did cover quite a bit of that it was not hard to extract opinions from your brother in particular but uh um i'm very interested in us having a conversation with george block because he is such a legendary figure he was so so key in getting water polo uh, it, it rooted in, in in San Antonio but it's only fair to me to ask also what happened and um you know he's going to obviously have an opinion about that cuz he's been so knee deep in the sport for some so many years but obviously there's a pretty dramatic drop off of water polo in the San Antonio area and he's got to know something about it so I, I'm I'm looking forward to the chance for one of us to actually speak with him to to talk about that but and same with Mark Kelly yeah, but you can't discount the rise of Houston that, yeah, that happened in the late 80s, early 90s, um, or even the mid 80s. Um, they started doing a lot more stuff and they started doing and focusing a lot more on water polo. So and there's some good coaches there that really built up that sport throughout the 90s in Houston and established it for like 20 plus years as My, the yeah. area in Texas. So um it, it was just at the same time that San Antonio started going down this, the, like the Houston catches definitely stepped up. So, yeah, I guess my rebuttal to that would be yes, of course. And they deserve all the credit in the world, but San Antonio in theory could have remained competitive with them for, and could be competitive right now. Um, theoretically, if, uh, if that standard had been set and, and maintained over time, but a, a really interesting topic of conversation. This is not unique to uh, San Antonio, but it, it, it is, um, but I, as I said to both Chris and to Jim, Jimmy, um, was that this fascinates me because it was such a hub. Like San Antonio was the hub of water polo in the state for quite a few years. And so uh, I'm always interested in that kind of thing. So, yeah, very good conversation. And it's great that Chris is still involved 
and coaching high school swimming and high school water polo in Northside. And Jimmy's uh, still involved as he's still in the, uh, on the Southwest Zone board. And uh, he's the Southwest Zone treasurer and he's a master's player with hops. So. Yeah. They shared a ton about that, about, about the past and what they're doing now. And, um, and you are exactly right. I was really interested in talking with Chris because he is going to be the water polo coach at Brennan. And so he has some insight into what he's been told, at least by his school, his district, about how that's going to happen in 2021. There's not a lot of detail, but at least he, he has some. So um, we get a chance to check, uh, check in with both of them. So we'll return with that conversation next. Hey, this is Mark Lawrence from Austin College, head coach of the men's and women's water programs and home of our kangaroos. When I'm interested in uh, what's going on with Texas Warflow, I always listen to TX Warflow podcast. Christopher Olvera was a four-year starter for Marshall High School and a member of its 1987 state championship. And Jim Linehan played for their Crosstown and state rivals Clark, which won four straight titles between 1982 and 1985. This week, those two programs are pitted against one another for our second Best of Texas tournament. So it's time to catch up with a couple other athletes. So Jim and Christopher, thanks for joining us. Thank you. James, glad to be here. Jim, first of all, let's get this out of the way. Your last name is Linehan. Are you acquainted with my partner, Joe, in any way? Yeah, a little bit. I used to push him around my house when he was little. Yeah. I've, five I've, years on him. He's seen, he, you've, you've made your mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Joe. So, Joe, uh, Jim is Joe's brother, um, and uh, you get to hear me and Joe yammer every week. But uh, this will be a better choice. I think Jim has a lot to, stay, to say as well. But... Um, I wanted to see if we could start with Christopher because you have a super interesting story. Not that you don't, Jim. Um, you were on that Marshall team, and we had an interview with Doug Andrew some time ago, yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. And boy, he really educated me about what that whole scene, the culture really was like. Um, I wonder if you can just share some of the big beats about how did you get started? Was it part of that NISD, um, you know, that, that program that came up through, the, through San Antonio? Yeah, it was. And, and uh, luckily, I listened to that conversation that you had. And uh, it was neat to hear his perspective after all these years. But, you know, most of us started on a on an NISD age group team. Um, we, we started playing when we were in middle school, uh, kind of a mixed team of Clark, Marshall, you know, future Clark and Marshall athletes. And and uh, at that time, it was Mark Ellie was the coach. And then uh, Coach Swanson took over. So that was kind of where we got started. Most of us were, most of us were, were club swimmers that hadn't really been exposed to water polo until that time. But we kind of knew it was coming because we saw the age group kids playing. Mark Ellie is a name that keeps coming up um, and really sounds like he spearheaded the water polo effort. Was, was he a coach for both of you? Uh, Jim, did you play on in those age group teams as well? I never did. Um, okay. Mark was actually the Clark High School coach before I got to high school. Um, he also was a summer league swim coach, mm. and that's kind of how I ran into him. So answering your question to Chris, I moved to San Antonio in eighth grade, and I was playing football and basketball and baseball, and I never you know, did anything with water polo. And I, but I, say, I swam summer league, so that was fine. I was a decent summer league swimmer. Mark Ellie just happened to be the summer league coach. So he convinced me to, you know, switch over to water polo and never did it before. I was a decent swimmer. So I picked it up pretty good. 
and I enjoyed it. it went on from there. So yeah, Mark Kelly was the uh, summer league coach and the high school coach for Clark, and he ended up being a San Antonio water polo club coach, which are all the teams we we've talked about a little bit of uh, going forward and playing these national events. All right. Yep. Same with you, Chris. Like that—that's your experience, summer league. Yeah, team. it was, and and yeah. so so Mark, uh, uh, he was. You know, it's funny because we had some pretty pretty strong summer league rivalries. So he was actually one of the rival summer league uh, uh, coaches, and I knew that he was introducing, I believe, water polo to those those kids over at uh, was it Whispering Oaks or Colonies? Yeah, and uh, Whispering Oaks. We, we and so had a summer league swim team. We also had a summer league water polo team. We played- yeah. Time. So we you combine the two things for summer league. Yeah, so that was we you know we had a really good uh, exposure and and I think Doug mentioned this we would we would travel to tournaments we'd we'd get a a charter bus and I believe we went to play at St Mark's and uh, in an in an age group tournament and so it was a, it was a big it was a big event um, and it was it was a lot of fun it was great exposure and it kind of got us ready to play for high school. Right. Um, this I, my my understanding is he's Canadian actually that and that he played at some serious pretty high levels in Canada before he moved down to San Antonio. Is that your recollection as well? Yeah, he was from Canada, I think Windsor area, but I don't know all the details of his history. You know, I met him as an adult. I was a high school kid learning how to play a new sport, and uh, so I don't I don't know all his details. Okay, yeah, um, that's my recollection as well. Okay. <laughs> It's just a name that keeps coming up, so I'm I'm very curious about this because uh, obviously, and we'll talk about George Block later. Like his name is on the side of buildings and stuff, but there's a, <laughs> there's there's these people who are very key to creating the culture of water polo in San Antonio. So he's most definitely one of them. So, um, given that we we know that you're you've had much experience at the age group level, which was a something new to me regarding San Antonio. Let's move on to high school, which was, you heard the interview with Coach, uh, Coach Doug. I don't know what you called yeah. him back in the day. Yeah. Um, and he, what his recollection of it was that it's, it was so, everybody knew one another, like everyone. And so these, these games had almost a special significance because you're just playing against these rivals all, or you know, friends, rivals, teammates all the time. Yeah, and, you know, and, and that, that intro, um, uh, y'all talked about uh, the, the growth of Northside, and at that time, it was Clark was still the newest school. Uh, my freshman year, Taft was built. That was then a, an addition. But yeah, we we all practiced together at that at that point. We were still at the 410 pool, uh, the old facility, and um, so we had this rivalry. But we still knew the guys. We swam with them. Um, but yeah, it, it was a tight it was a tight knit group but we love to compete when it came to water polo season. And, uh, you know, we also, I think part of being in that younger group, you know, I think Jim probably started to meet everybody when he moved here, but we knew who those older kids were. Like I looked up to Chris Canning and Kevin Urion who played with Jim at Clark, but so we saw these guys that were playing because we were at the same facility. Right. And uh, I think that just kind of built into that culture. And these Another are the unique thing oh, yeah, about was, uh, the, the polo teams all played with their own high school, but when you got into swim season, the, the high school swim team and the club swim team were all kind of intermixed. And I don't really know the details at the time. I was a high school kid and I wasn't really sure how it was all organized. But, you know, I'm a, I was on the high school swim team for Clark, but yet I swam in the same lane as people from all the other schools. So it was yep. all kind of mixed up. So you got to know everybody. See, so everybody knew who everybody was. So once you played high school games, 
you know, we were all at the same pool, all at the same time. It was all together. That's what, one of the things that was so unique about this is I can't recall another uh, like culture anywhere in the country in which you're doing that. And, it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but my recollection of talking with Doug and with Tom Andrew was that the water polo teams would, we would warm up together and then they would just move to separate sides of the pool to practice. And so here's Doug looking over his shoulder like, oh, that's what they're doing over there. I and mean, maybe we'll incorporate it to what we're going to do. So it, you were also almost practicing together too for water polo. Yeah, that, that's correct. There was a 50 meter pool with five teams. So everybody had a one fifth of the pool and different parts of the pool a different equipment or deep water or something where you couldn't do everything everywhere. So, you know, every 20 minutes you would swap to another area. So you, you were intermixing and doing the same stuff at the same time. And of course, like you said, the coaches could go and see what other people were doing and kind of picking up here and there as needed. Right. Yeah, um, we were, we were definitely looking over, uh, uh, checking out what Clark was doing. I mean, <laughs> no doubt. Um, let's get into this rivalry a little bit. So I uh, asked the tough questions of uh, of Doug. You know, the, you you had such success, and you could say only one state championship. So you're a member of that '87 team. What do you recall about that year, and how was it that you overcame Clark in that one particular year? Yeah, it was interesting. I I kind of went getting ready for this. I looked at a few things and. You know, coming in my freshman year, I didn't realize that that 80, 85 team, 84 team, um, lost by one point to Clark. And then um, for the next two years, it was kind of the, I guess, starting to see the wave. I think it was Sterling uh, for two years. And so we were, we were a group of, of guys that had started out young. We had a couple of guys, myself and Ellis Seaton, that were on the varsity team our freshman year. And uh, we just sort of built and built and learned, got beat up pretty bad a couple of years uh, after that freshman year. And um, it, was always, it was always about Clark, though, because we, we knew that that was what it probably was going to be what it came down to our senior year. So um, it was just kind of building up to that moment. Um, Coach Andrew, I think Joe mentioned this in the lead-in, you know, he gave us a lot of freedom to lead as kids and I think that's why we respected him and so that senior year Ellis and I kind of took took the team and, and just sort of we were in charge of warm-up we were in charge of pre-game uh, meetings and uh, it was a it was a team with lots of juniors and some really fast freshmen I was talking to one of my friends I think the six starters were all probably 50 point freestylers so it was a fast team and uh, I think Joe mentioned the lung offense that Coach Andrew uh, uh, ran. I didn't realize it was something he was sort of building on. And I think it was just a perfect combination of speed that year that it, it worked out for us. Do you remember anything in particular about the actual state championship game? I'm curious about that because I've I been to the ones recently. Do you, where was it? What was the crowd like? So, so it was, um, we were alternating back and forth. I think Northside was every other year. And so we had been at Sterling the year before when Sterling beat Jay. And we came back to, to Northside and it was packed. I mean, it, it was, uh, it was still the old pool. So it got really, really loud. I remember warming up for the final against Clark and uh, like half the football team walked in and that was unheard of. I mean, the football team came to support us. So there was a lot of noise already. And getting to that game, we had to beat Sterling, which, uh, which was a, a huge challenge. Um, but we had some motivation. I don't remember the name of the magazine, but there was the, the kind of the quarterly USA Water Polo magazine. 
and they had a little snippet about the southwest area and it something that they said early in the year was uh, Sterling should easily repeat as state champions. <laughs> and we, we have that and we used it as motivation. So, but that final at Clark, uh, I believe it was Halloween night or it might've been the night before Halloween. And it was loud and exciting and it was close. Uh, it was close for most of the game. Fantastic. And so um, Jim, obviously you're on the opposite side of this rivalry at Clark. Well, first of all, did you guys play against one another as far as you can remember? Yeah, we did. Uh, I'm sure we did for a couple of years. Got it. And so, uh, uh, you know, Marshall won that, that championship in, uh, in 87, but prior to that, Clark had really set the standard by winning 82 through 85. Um, and so, then things started to shift as you're sort of suggesting to Sterling. I mean, North Shore won a couple and then Humble started winning in the nineties. Um, what was your experience with, with Clark as far as the culture is concerned? You know, it, it had such success for so long. And like I said earlier, I jumped in and, and I hadn't done this before and, and I, I was able to pick up the game and I jumped onto a great team. Uh, I learned and, and we had a lot of success in high school. I, I didn't know any better because that's, that's, that's what I was given. Um, I can't speak to 87 because uh, my last season of high school was 86, so I'm a year older than Chris. But I know leading up to that, I don't remember ever losing to Marshall. But maybe <laughs> it happened once or twice. <laughs> but um, the, the, the culture, like as you said, it was shifting a little bit. And, and Chris had mentioned, you know, some of the emphasis at, at Northside at the time, there's only four, four or five schools playing, plus Alamo Heights and San Antonio, maybe a couple of small schools. And there was a lot of emphasis in Houston trying to build some stuff up. Um, the, uh, the, the, Chris had mentioned the age group. I think the age group program got cut. There's a couple of, of good coaches that left. You had mentioned Mark Kelly. He had, he had actually departed. Um, some of the emphasis was more towards swimming. So those are the things that, you know, weren't really helping emphasize the sport. But at the same time, I think in, in Houston, you know, things were growing and, and people were learning and people were going to different things. Um, there was a few people that played the high-level water polo that were living in Houston that were teaching the coaches what was going on. So there was a, a, a big thing in Houston helping and, and some stuff in San Antonio that was taking it down. So that certainly helped push the shift. Um, I'll give you some history on that too, if you, if you go back a little bit. But back in the 1970s, there was a guy named Coach Dennis Fosdick that, uh, that ran the A&M program for, for 10 years. I don't know if either one of you guys know him. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, started lots of things. He hosted the high school championship tournament in the 70s. You know, this is just history that I know. I wasn't around then um, to, to see water polo anyway. Um, and some of the guys that played for him, you know, stayed in Texas and were, were teaching the people in Houston what to do. Um, so, he, you know, Fosdick was really the one that started this. And then somehow it moved over to San Antonio. And when San Antonio kind of dropped off or didn't put as much emphasis on it, the, the guys in Houston were, were really pushing it. So there's lots of guys over there that were, you know, Fosdick athletes um, that were helping. It's hard to speak to anyone with any history in the state of Texas who has not been touched by Fosdick. And I actually knew him. <laughs> um, he was a good friend of my high school coach. And so, and, and then back when I was coaching in San Diego, I was trying to send, send some kids his way when he was Occidental. So um, he's, he, he's a legend. And we should probably do a show that covers nothing but his legacy in this state at some point. But um, I, I hear what you're saying. I want to go back a little bit because uh, if my math is correct, you're a member of the 85 and 84 Clark teams that won the state That's championship. Yep. Gym. Right. So, and then the same question to you, what do you recollect about like those actual games and, and one of them in particular, 84 was against Marshall. So uh, what do you remember? 
Uh, Chris just told me it was a one-goal game. I don't remember that in, in those details. But, uh, I mean, it was fun. It was exciting. The stands were full. It was just like some of the state championships you have nowadays. Um, you know, people were out there. People were excited. We had a good time. I mean, and the funny part about it is because everybody in San Antonio was pretty competitive, the people you're playing in the state championship were the same guys you played the first week of district because you've been playing them for months and months or however long the season lasted. So you were familiar with these people. It was normal. It wasn't a lot of pressure. I got to go out there and perform in this big state championship. Hey, we're playing Marshall or we're playing Jay or Holmes or someone that you've been playing four or five times already this year and, and, and competitively. Yeah. And I, I, I think I recall, and Jim, you can, you can uh, clear this up. I think we used to play, like dual games we would just have a one game on a saturday or one game in the middle of the week is that correct it wasn't just tournaments yeah i think so you know we probably it was probably very easy to do since we're all there at the same pool so we you know basically had you know our season of games leading up in the state and regionals yeah it was a little different um so those those dual games there was a lot of excitement around those so to his point you know there it was kind of pressure packed all season long uh up to that point and back to the point of knowing everybody, hey, you wanted to beat your friends too. So, you know, it's, 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 there's some motivation factor there. Absolutely. And people you're training with, so it's fun to win. Right. Um, and then a, a question that I had for, for Doug, which was um, from a distance, you can see that the talent, the, the excellence was concentrated in this one geographic area. And yet Texas, of course, is a gigantic state. Did you have a sense for just how concentrated it was in San Antonio? Was it, you know, you, you face teams from Houston here and there, I think, but basically no one from North Texas. Is that generally speaking correct? Yeah, uh, go ahead, Jim. Uh, we played St. Mark's a couple times, but they were really the only team out of Dallas. And I don't think they had a lot of experience. I think it'd been on and off again. Um, they emerged more in the 90s um, than in the 80s. Um, but other than that, we go to Houston and play one tournament, maybe a regional thing and play three or four schools just to travel for a weekend event or something. But, you know, for the most part, we played San Antonio and that was the best competition at the time. And uh, it, it, it was it was exciting. Yeah. And I always got the sense that and I started to see this towards the end that, um, you know, we played St. Mark's. There was a team from from Corpus Toluso Midway. We played them. Um, but I think, you know, kind of to answer your question, I, I, we had that sense, but I also started to wonder, you know, what could Northeast do? You know, there's a big district Northeast with some really, really fast swimmers that never, uh, never did water polo. But, you know, given the, their athletes, there, there could have been, you know, even more at that time. Right. Um, and I wanted to move on maybe just a little bit because you, you went on to play at the Naval Academy, at least that first year, um, and uh -huh. you can go ahead and share what, how that worked. But I'm curious about your, how were you recruited at the time? Did you find that the Navy coaches were coming to see you? Did you, you know, how did that work? That's, it's kind of a kind of funny story. And, you know, uh, just a, a quick side. I mean, there were quite a few kids from Marshall and, and Clark that ended up going to academies. Ellis went to Air Force and then the, the Josh Bell and Scott Bell went to Navy as well. And so there was a lot of uh, potential talent when we were in high school. But, you know, my recollection, it was something that I was shooting for from an early age. So I started making contact probably sophomore year, freshman year. Uh, but it was all via uh, phone, phone conversation with Schofield and, uh, and letters. And uh, I felt like a kid that was getting recruited very heavily. But when I got to the academy, I realized that he was going to make cuts. <laughs> and it was, 
it was quite a challenge. So I made that team. Uh, I barely made that team because wow. there were some really good players out of California that were also recruited uh, that didn't make it. But it was it was more of just communicating. Um, I don't recall any kind of scouting. Um, I had fast times. Uh, I managed to make you know all all state third team, second team, first team, and and I think that probably helped. But I don't think he ever saw me, and I'm a small guy, so it's probably lucky. That he didn't see me. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if you, uh, you were going to chime in there, Jim. Th this is um, this is this one. Uh, we we don't have a whole lot of time left here, unfortunately. Um, the this Zoom meeting is running out. A little oh, inside yeah. baseball for everybody who's listening. But uh, I, I did want to go back to basically the present and the future in San Antonio. And uh, you both obviously have tentacles that are very deep into the into the area. The Good news is, at least from my understanding, is that with this UIL decision, all the Northside teams are going to come come and play again. So that's the fall of next of, of 2021. Um, can, is is do you see that the culture is going to replicate what happened in the 80s? Is it going to just come back full force? What do you foresee for the area in the future? You know, I'd be. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, this is our, my comment on that would be that's great is coming back, but you know to support that thing, you you know the, some of the best teams that are playing right now have a have a very good club program behind them, and uh, if if you just have kids playing you know one couple months at a time, you know they'll they'll be okay. They just won't they won't be really really you won't be, have the capability to be really good. Um, so if if San Antonio is is adding all this stuff in high school, that's great. I fully support it, but I, I certainly hope to see a couple of the club teams really step up and, and help. Be, be the backbone to some of that stuff and be playing these kids playing all year round because that goes back to some of the dominant questions you have you know we had mentioned earlier a little bit about the history you know San Antonio had clubs the San Antonio water polo club started in the mid 80s with a bunch of kids going all over the country and playing and having clubs and that kind of died out after a few years but um you know when UIL starts the the, the teams that are going to be the best teams are going to be the ones that have clubs right behind them as I think you guys would probably agree yeah, and, and that, that realization is there, you know, just in conversations with, with other Northside coaches, um, we know that that's, uh, that's going to be part of it, that it it's, it's has to be a part of it. You know, right now we've got kids that are going to play for San Antonio Water Polo Club out at uh, Incarnate Word College, and there's some that are going out to Bernie, but we don't really have any uh, kind of club that's closer in, that's closer to, to our facilities. So I think the, the district realizes that. And I think it's one of the goals that to, to get a club program going and, and to, uh, you know, see what kind of space we can utilize for, for age group and, and high school club water polo as well. So you're at Brandon High School now, which is one of the newer schools. You're suggesting that the district itself is going to form a club team to utilize the facilities that you have at hand. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say that for sure. Uh, I just think that there's a I'm, I'm sensing uh, an openness. Uh, to do that. Uh, I'm sensing a, uh, uh, an openness to doing whatever it takes. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. We're going we're gonna to be competitive. Um, and I think as a coach, I know it's to Jim's point, there's, there's a lot of programs that already have this in place. So it, it could be a, a, a long road. Um, but that's kind of why I'm excited to be coming, kind of be back in water polo at this time in San Antonio, because uh, the potential's there. Talk about that a little bit because you have coached other sports, but you mentioned in an email to me that you're now getting back into the game. Yeah, yeah. What do you What do you know about what's going to happen in 2021 and your role in that? 
so um yeah i i started coaching soccer actually and that's where i started doing kind of professional coaching i was a club soccer coach and then uh because of the excitement uh, i would come home talking about soccer my wife said why are you doing sales why aren't you teaching and coaching and so i i got a teaching certificate thinking i might coach uh coach soccer but uh luckily i got back into aquatics and um so i think you know the, the, there are several coaches that are really, really embracing water polo, and I think more and more of them are. You know, I see my role is, is just bringing some experience and also, you know, helping with the enthusiasm. I think uh, 20, to, your, to your question, you know, we're, we're on board. We're going to be, uh, I believe we're going to be starting up when UIL starts. And uh, it's just going to be a matter of logistics at this point. When do we start the season? When do we get in the water? Uh, and then go from there. Do you know anything about those logistics? Because those are really some of the most, most important questions for a lot of programs. That are yeah, I think what we've probably don't know anything more than what's been put out. I think that the, the season is a fall season now. Mm -hmm. So I know it's yeah. going to be an adjustment for a lot of the other, other teams. Um, uh, I've kind of heard that we'll probably be starting more like a volleyball type uh, season. So earlier in the, in the summer, in August, I guess, before school even starts. Okay. Um, and we are looking at starting to identify water polo players next year. So we're going to be looking at, at starting to kind of have water polo tryouts, true water polo tryouts um, that kind of coincide with swimming, but also kind of lead up to that point that it's a separate entity. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I wanted to get into at least a little bit of a tech, technical part because uh, those are the open questions is many programs are asking how this is going to work. And, and that includes how is it going to work with the, sw the high school swim season. I'm a water polo snob, so the, and, and I swam all the way through college, so I have every right to make fun of how long this dumb swimming season is. No offense, coach, <laughs> but uh, water polo for me is the key. And my understanding from some coaches is that they're just going to say, oh, we'll just delay starting this, this very long swim season until October anyway. And, and I don't know whether you've heard anything like that at all. Well, we... Uh, we, we've typically, um, we had our water polo, the San Antonio, we switched it back to the fall anyway. So it was a shortened season that went basically, um, gosh, September, four weeks, and then kind of started with preseason swimming. So um, then we switched to the spring the past couple of years, this past year, uh, thinking that we were going to start to align with Tisca a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, we'll probably just go in from water polo season into into swimming probably uh, when that ends. I'm, I'm forgetting. Is it is it end of September still that they're looking at? Well, it's entirely possible. So, for yeah. example, the, the the high school that I've been coaching at and no longer, but Round Rock High School, their swim yeah. season starts essentially the first of August. And so yeah. my understanding is that that may be for at least some schools they're going to start you know training for water polo you know, maybe the first day of school even, and then it would go through, I'm going to just say October, but um, something like that. So, and that's, that is kind of what we've done. So we've, we've right. trained through that for water polo, had our last tournament the last week in September and then started with swimming. And within two weeks we had a, a early swim meet. So I, I kind of see that we'll kind of go back to that model, but only with an earlier start. Got it. Fascinating stuff. Like I'm, um, it's a, it's a delight to hear about and the entire history of what goes on in San Antonio. But, but also, um, as I've said, I think even on the podcast, I have mixed feelings about San Antonio returning to the fold <laughs> because I've 
absolutely want those teams back playing, but I don't want to have to play against them. So if I'm my kids going up against them is going to be trouble because they are pretty good. And so that, that's why I have a, a slightly mixed feelings about it, but overall a gigantic benefit to the sport that the, that everybody's coming back. Yeah. And James, since your point, that's a big circle back to, you know, 1984, 1985. That's when the high school season was. We played in the fall, swam in the winter and had spring polo in April and May. I love that part. A lot of people don't know that, that it's only been about nine years, something like that, I think, that the that water polo has been played in the spring. And I think there are genuinely good reasons for doing that. But the fact that it's going back to the fall is, in my mind, completely manageable. It's just not something that water polo fans in the state are accustomed to. So that's a very good yep. point. Well, uh, I want to say thank you to both of you very much for your time. I have a feeling that we can come back and talk about this for another hour. Um, but we, we're running out and obviously nobody wants to hear me talk anymore. So I do appreciate your time very much, both of you. Uh, sure, James. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, James, thank you. It was, it was fun to talk. We'll talk again. That was Christopher Alvera from Marshall High School and Jim Linehan from their rivals, Clark. That was my conversation with Chris Olvera and Jimmy Linehan. That's uh, Joe's brother, as you can tell. Um, two people who are knee-deep involved in the, the sport in San Antonio and a super interesting conversation. I want to thank both of them. Um, a reminder, again, to go and vote on this Best of Texas round two. The polls will remain open for another week with this first round, so there's plenty of chances for you to go uh, show your spirit. Yeah, get out there and vote, guys. Yeah, this is... and uh, and. Definitely let us know if there are any thoughts or comments on the matchups or, or what have you. Just kind of email to what was that? Pod at TXWaterPolo.com, Joe. There you go. There, there you go. go. All right. Thank you, Joe. It's uh, It's been another good one. All right. Thanks, James. Great. And thanks to Chris and to Jim for taking time to talk with us. And, of course, thanks to all of you for listening and for continuing to tell friends about the TX Water Polo podcast. Um, I think we have some new fans, actually, that are outside the state, which I'm very pleased by. Um, and you can find us on TXWaterPolo.com to listen to the podcast, find us on social media, and leave comments, give to the cause, and, you know, stay up to date about what's going on in this state. But until next week, so long from Austin. Of TWP Sports LLC. My dog is scratching at the door. Uh, I can hear him.